Welcome to the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, home of the Dresden Files podcast, 42 Entertainment, and many others. More podcasts like this one can be found at brokenjars.xyz. Grace Scott! I declare bankruptcy! Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression! Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Dwight, you ignorant slut! Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment, as a child, when we realized that the world could be Welcome conquered. Welcome to the Great Scott. <laughs> oh man, wow, I botched that up. Welcome to Great Scott, The Office Podcast. I am Jay Ray, and with me is my deskmate, Jacob. How's it going, everybody? Man, uh, we are members of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, so visit brokenjars.xyz for all of our other shows. And a super duper big what up to our sponsor, Tiny Build. Yep. Um, Actually, been playing such. one, playing in, well, it's not new, but it, playing one of their games I haven't, been, I haven't played before. It's called Party Hard. Mm. And you basically go around to all these like techno parties and murder everyone. It's pretty funny. That is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, they do a good job of like kind of throwing caution to the wind in terms of like the setting of their games right um like cluster truck like what the hell is the deal about that you're just jumping from truck to truck for no reason speedrunner same deal you're superheroes that are racing just because why not yeah pretty good stuff <clears throat> i figure at the top of the show too we'll mention that we are taking submissions for people to like submit audio files right of um mm-hmm. upcoming episodes we always say it at the end so maybe people will remember if we right say it yeah we're time. having a contest so there'll be a link in the show notes about where to download the uh, techno song so if you want to take that um and then splice in your other um opening stuff credit you know kind of like what we have now but if you want to create your own and if you want to make one that's going to be specific for the episode that'd be great too um so yeah i mean we're more than happy to throw your stuff on the podcast yeah um i will say and i I probably should have said it sooner um in terms of like in between episodes but i know someone on reddit was um saying they kind of like when we talk about like our specific favorite quotes okay um but I didn't remember it until you just started talking (laughs) otherwise i would have taken notes and i would have told you to take some notes but <clears throat> um, yeah, well, because I was I was talking to some folks on Reddit about it, and I was saying how we're in this interesting place where we talk so in depth about episodes that we talk almost as long as the episodes are, right? Um, and then because they said something like we missed their favorite quote, and I was like, well, that's fair, but I mean, if we end up saying everybody's favorite quote, we're just reading the script basically, <laughs> <laughs> and then we become an office reenactment podcast, right? And I don't I don't think we need to to do that, yeah. yeah. Um, so this week we got uh, a couple good episodes. We got The Secret, mm-hmm. The Carpet, Boys and Girls, and Valentine's Day. Correct. Uh, and so, yeah, we have this this happening. Uh, we're starting out with uh, Season 2, Episode 13, The Secret. For some reason, I wrote the injury on the top of my notes, and I don't know why I did that. <laughs> but the, it opened. So this... Uh, this is post Booze Cruise, a uh, couple episodes after Booze Cruise, and Michael or Jim has realized that he screwed up by telling Michael anything. And it's the entire premise of the episode is pretty much 
him trying to keep the cat in the bag and Michael doing everything he can to not keep it in the bag, even though he's mm-hmm. trying his damnedest to keep it in the bag. Yeah. Uh, and this opens with a good cold open. It's the uh, up dog joke. Yeah. So Jim and Pam are laughing at the desk, and Michael comes like, "What's what's the funny?" He's like, "So is it me, or does it smell like up dog in here?" He's like, "What's up dog?" He's like, "I don't know. What's up with you?" He's like, "Oh, that's brilliant!" And like he tries to like land it on everybody. Mm-hmm. And the only person he gets it to land on is Dwight, and he's like, "Gotcha!" And he's like, "Oh, nothing." And he's like, realize he blew the joke. Yeah. I gotta say, Steve Carell does like a really great job of all of those uncertain moments that Michael experiences, like um, like when he's trying to salvage that joke, right? You know, like he like shuts down, and it like also fits so well with his like character's own feelings about his improv skills. Mm-hmm. You know, so when he's put in a situation where things don't go right, like Michael just shuts down, and Steve Carell just does a great job of like portraying that in his eyes and his face. In this episode specifically, there's a bit where he's being forced to lie to somebody, and he like does all the signs of somebody who's lying. He doesn't make eye contact. He starts sweating. He like looks mm-hmm. up in like the particular quadrant of his brain. Yeah, right. And it's the B storyline. So the the main storyline is like we were saying, it's the big secret that Jim had has had a cr- had slash had a crush on Pam. And he's doing everything he can to not say anything. And Michael is trying to get Jim to talk about it because he, you know, feels like he's got a friend now. Right. And the B storyline is Oscar is quote unquote sick, and Dwight is investigating the whether or not he's actually sick or was just calling in sick to get a free day. Yeah, I mean, so we had talked earlier too because this is the same season. Obviously, is that Halloween episode. Um, cause we were wondering if the writers had planted that seed of Oscar cross-dressing, um, in the gay comments about him, if he was going to be gay at that point. Uh, but this is the episode where we find out that Oscar is gay. Right. So again, not to draw parallels between homosexuality and cross-dressing, but the jokes that are made at his expense, at least do kind of fit in line with what their overarching story was for Oscar. Correct. Um, correct. Which is funny. Uh, it, so that. it's also so in the office it's spring cleaning day. And we get another just beautiful vision of uh Michael's racism where he's like he's on the phone with Oscar, he's like, We could have used some of that famous Hispanic cleaning ethic mm-hmm. work ethic. <laughs> you know. And he's like, <laughs> Oh Michael, no. Yeah, yeah. Um and then again, to go to uh later on next season when Jim's in um Stanford, right? Uh, they're forced to do a diversity training because of something that happened in Scranton. So oh, it's just, right. just yeah. Michael continuously being super inappropriate and not understanding pretty much any reason why somebody would be different than somebody else. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's also. One of the interesting things is because we start seeing the real wedding prep from Pam and like just the you can see the anguish on um, like Jen's face is like ah crap this is like legit real now yeah like what do I do and but you know Kelly is up front with Pam she's like how you gonna wear your hair and she puts her hair all up and Michael comes in he's like oh Mikey likey yeah that's sexy you should wear it like that all the time it's like 
that would probably get you fired. <laughs> like, if not, just like serious sexual, like, oh, what's the word? Uh, like sexual, sexual harassment, sexual harassment training and stuff. Yeah, you'd yeah. have to watch the video at least five times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Daryl banged that chick. Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole video is in vo- uh, is void now. Um. Yeah, I mean, so the episode does a lot in terms of the jam storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, ultimately it leads to, and you know, I know I have this habit of going through the episode too quickly, so you slow me down when I do. But I mean, like, the, the scene for this episode is the Hooters scene, right? Right. We talk about storyline A. Eh? <laughs> and um, Michael decides to take Jim out to Hooters so that they can talk about Pam after a very disastrous invitation to eat some za in the conference room. <laughs> Uh, get a get a get a blanket or some za. Uh, yeah, talk about you know who. I know, like super discreet about it. Um, so they go, and of course, Michael is like a huge infant when it comes to slightly scantily clad women who are just doing their job. <clears throat> so he's there and he's giddy, and Jim's just there to placate Michael so he doesn't spill the beans. But then um, Michael orders a chicken breast. Hold the chicken. <laughs> So terrible. I mean, Dana deserved to freak out on Michael the way she did. Um, yeah, I just, I, I felt so bad for him. Like, oh, oh. The problem is, like, I mean, great. This was really before, like, the explosion of the restaurant. But, like, there's mm. so many restaurants that are so much, so much more scandalous than Hooters are. Yeah, it's like, true. I would hate to see Michael in a place like Twin Peaks or something. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I mean, well, even so, I think, uh, well, I guess Angela is the one who refers to Hooters as a strip club. Right. And Michael's like, no, they're not a strip club. They are a location with over something, something. I don't know, but yeah. he sticks up for him. So, you know, the backtrack a little bit, you know, after after the whole thing where Michael is, you know, saying that stuff about Pam, he's like, you know, Jim goes into his office and you can barely hear it, but he calls. He call Michael calls Jim Jim bag. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. wow, that's a weird. That's an odd nickname even for Michael. I mean, that would probably fill up a website in and of itself. Are the various different nicknameifications that Michael does to everybody's name in the office? Well, we get a lot of that in this this uh, block of episodes. We get spamster and ram mm-hmm. thing and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's trying to keep it light. He's trying to keep it cash, you know? He's trying to keep up that rapport. Right. Uh, I just, oh, it's just one of those episodes where, like, Michael, he just wants to be Jim's friend so bad. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're totally great friends. But he just can't keep, like, can't keep it to himself. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, aside from Michael just being, like, this not great person to be friends with anyways... There's just no reason why he seems so incapable of not saying it, right? But, like, every instance possible, like, mm-hmm. he's bursting at the seams to, like, let everybody know possible what it is that he's not supposed to let them know. Um, so I the, think some of it is he wants everyone to know that Jim right. told him something he didn't tell them. I think that's so what like, a lot of it is. Yeah, it's like validate that, like, hey, see, Jim, the coolest guy in the office, wants to be my friend, so. Right. Yeah. I mean, my... 
So the Hooter scene is great, but like really my favorite bit is that interaction by the supply shelving where uh, Michael comes out with the grape soda. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and then Dwight is grilling Michael. Super easy questions. Right. Um, and Michael is just terrible. He's sweating. He's basically facing in an entirely different direction to avoid Dwight's gaze. Uh, Dwight had just also got off a talking head saying that he understands. But he knows like, some people are lying. Right. But that was in relation to Oscar speaking on the phone. and But does not pick up on our Michael because, you know, he's got that soft spot for him as a mentor, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of funny about the Hooter. Well, one of the things funny about the Hooter scenes is so Jim, for lunch, brought in his normal ham and cheese sandwich. Uh-huh. And when he goes to Hooters, he orders a ham and cheese sandwich. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah. He it's doesn't consistent. change up his lunch, uh, lunch order too, too much. Um, and, you know, that, that's referenced later on, too, because uh, this is also the season where he plans on taking a trip. Mm-hmm. And um, Ryan says in his own talking head that Jim comes in every day with the same ham and cheese sandwich just to prove a point that Jim doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would be uh, kind of spontane- spontaneous and do this trip, you know? Right. And that's something we'll have to talk about, like, come the end of season two which i think is two episodes from now right but does jim take that trip yeah that's a good point um he he's going to new zealand or australia i forget which i think it was new zealand um but it was supposed to be like a day or two before pam's wedding Mm -hmm. non-refundable yep um so i'm trying to think if there's anything that occurs when Pam's wedding was supposed to. Like, was Phyllis and um, Bob Vance's wedding around the same time? No, that was that was season three when that happened. Yeah, but... Because um, that's when Pam and Roy get back together for a little bit. Right. Well, yeah, it happens at that wedding, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because there's a lot of references in that episode to uh, Phyllis utilizing a lot of the same things that Pam had planned for her own wedding. Right. So I guess I was wondering if like the date was around the same. Um, but I guess not, because Jim goes and he's with Karen. Right. I mean, it would make sense that if he were to take the trip, like he leaves Screen, takes a trip, and comes back, and then starts at, in Stanford. Like that sure. would make sense to me. Well, and also too, if we're supposed to assume that the timing of the air date of the episode is relative to real world dates june is kind of like off season right because right. that's what the wedding was supposed to be yeah so that that's a good point if you left before you went to stanford i guess we'll never know though we'll never know maybe maybe we can get a writer on sometime and uh <laughs> you know tell us like the inside baseball stuff yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I feel like this is the kind of show, too, where, like, those, like, the entire creative team of this show will, like, be talking about it, like, forever. Right. Because uh, it kind of shifted, I think, the uh, methodology methodology in which people approach sitcoms. You know, it popularized that single camera shooting style. The talking heads became big, um, even without needing to explain why there was a talking head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think the people who are behind the show will be talking about it for a while. So hopefully, at some point, they'll spill those beans. <laughs> um, I, I think we gotta like stick with the Hooters bit a little bit because there's, there's it's a really dense scene that's going on there. Yeah. So like, 
Yeah, so Michael says his famous chicken breast hold the chicken, and Jim, you can hear him. I don't think you see him, but you hear him just go, <sighs> like, it's yeah. his audible exhale, and he's, like, so down, and he feels so bad for this poor waitress. Yeah, I think he actually, <laughs> I think Michael says chicken breast, and before Dana can respond, Jim Hardy goes, he does, like, a nope, but it's too late. Yeah, you, you can't stop that bulldozer from going through. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they start talking about, like, so... Yeah, Michael keeps pestering Jim until he actually starts talking about Pam. He's like, so what do you like? The boobs, the legs? He's like, she's got a sense of humor. You're really easy to talk to. And Michael's all like, well, she never really gets my jokes. You know. And then a Jim look. <laughs> and then yeah. a Jim look. And he's like, oh, what about you? And he's like, oh, I like the boobs. <laughs> like, oh, Michael, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Then, um, then we get into the whole thing that like Ryan has nothing at in his desk, even up through season two, where he's like, I could clean out my entire desk in five seconds. Yeah. You know, a season and a half later, he gets hired on to be, you know, whatever director that Jan is or was. Yeah. I have to rewatch those episodes because I don't even know the title specifically either. I don't, uh, but, re- it, I don't but know. But it is supposed to be the same. It's a different title than Jan's. Same it's office, a different lower t- salary, right? Well, no, it's it's the same title as Jan. It's a, it's a different title, but same job description. Because mm. uh, David Wallace was like, I thought it was clear by the job description you were interviewing for Jan's job. And, right. And that, so, whole, that whole bit. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's weird, too. I mean, Ryan is definitely one of those characters that goes in such a far direction from where he starts because mm-hmm. uh, my girlfriend and I are watching some stuff during the Michael Scott paper company era. Right. Um, and that is still not even Ryan's final form at that point, you know? This right. is post CEO-ish, post Thailand trip, quote unquote. Um, and he's still closer to like a young guy, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of those insecurities and stuff, but he's also had a drug problem at this point. Um, and it's not the hipster porno photo photographer that um, he becomes later on. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they come back and Michael's trying to get them to expense the Hooters trip. Yeah. And he's like, he's like and Toby's like, you just got your card back. And so we find out that, you know, Michael has had some really iffy purchases with his corporate credit card. It's like $80 at the magic shop, which is, you know, it's like, but it was, I put a, a cigarette through a freaking quarter and they almost <laughs> yeah. bought for us. It's, you know, he like keeps going and going and he just like blurts out. I was like, look, someone in the office who's into a girl who's engaged and then you hear Kelly in the background, which is like, oh my God, Jim's in, or Jim's into Pam. Yeah, it just keeps going, which is, I think when we really see the first this is like Kelly's. She's pretty much go, coming into final form, Kelly, at this point. Like, she's yeah. really talkative, really gossipy, wants to know everything. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good point because, especially this block of episodes, Kelly really embodies that gossip mm-hmm. in, you know, sharing kind of Valley Girl ish lady. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good point because in this next episode, too, she. Um, the her and Ryan thing kind of starts, at least in terms of uh, conversations. 
Right, 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 right. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know. It's it's an interesting episode in general. It's more of a bridge. I I think all the episodes we're going to talk about tonight are mostly bridge episodes. Mm. Like there's the episode setting up the final push into the finale. So I think that's it's it's a, like a lot happens, but not a lot happens at the same time. Right. Like there's not a ton of character development. It's just more of like just dealing with what's going on. Yeah, but. No, but in this episode, I think it's a good character episode for Michael because you get to see like just how much he wants friendship and stuff because mm. he's like he wants to he's putting himself he does this so many times where he like he's like, look, this only, you know, relates between Jim and Pam and me. <laughs> yeah. and it's something he does, you know, a couple of times, especially like. He tries to become Cece's godfather. He does something similar with, you know, when they're having Cece. There's a, a lot of stuff where he's, like, always wanting to do stuff with Jim and then Jim and Pam. Yeah, I mean, he even – but that is that is just his theme overall with everybody. Like, even during um, Phyllis's wedding, he's able to be put into um, – on the groom's side of the party or whatever – and he's going to give a speech and all that jazz. And obviously he's super happy to do it. Uh, but Phyllis admits that she does it only to get the extra vacation time. It's like five weeks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's, he's, I mean, Jim and Pam specifically, because we see their relationship grow in front of us a lot more than everybody else. But that's definitely Michael's thing. Like he's trying to compensate for a lack of his own personal life by inserting himself into other people's personal lives. I mean, we encountered it a lot during, um, like, all the harassment of Ryan earlier in this season. Yeah. You know? Like, he's got his cell phone number, and he's prank calling him, and he's trying to talk to him about business school and stuff. Like, just everybody in the office is kind of his uh, unwilling family members, you know? <laughs> oh, to have a boss like Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he... So I do have some thoughts on uh, the reveal of Oscar as gay. Okay. Or specifically Dwight's reaction to it, because my girlfriend posed this really interesting question. It's basically Dwight has that gotcha moment, runs up to them near the Mm -hmm. end of the episode in the driveway, um, and he's seemingly cool about everything, and all he asks is for one giant favor to be returned so that he doesn't uh, rat Oscar out. Right. Um, so she posed an interesting question in that is Dwight cool about Oscar being gay like his reaction to it is not because like he's saying what he's saying not because Oscar's gay but he's saying it because he knows that Oscar's gay and like he like it seems he's talking about him playing hooky or is it really playing that he doesn't understand the situation at all and is just focusing on the hooky part? I, I think it's he doesn't really understand the situation at all because the way it's kind of shot, especially later when you see them holding hands and stuff. When they hide it and such? Yeah, so if, if he knew, they probably wouldn't hide it. So well, that's why I, I wonder. Like, did they not know that he knew? I don't think he knew. I don't think he made the connection that they were gay. Right. You know, he's just you're like, oh, you were just hanging out with each other kind of thing. Right. I mean, because it could have been this interesting moment for, because Dwight's kind of a weird guy, you mm-hmm. know? So it wouldn't be totally ridiculous for him to be like, oh, two gay dudes, whatever. You know, I'm more focused about the rules. 
And then that, I mean, obviously, and admittedly too, when you look at Gay Witch Hunt later on, uh, season three, he is also surprised like Michael. So that kind of answers the question later on. Right, well, they've been, you also, even later, later on, you know, when the the stuff with the senator happens and they talk with Toby about, you know, how gay men have sex. So I think it's really, really well established that he doesn't really understand the whole homosexual thing and all, at all. I mean, anything, right? Because he even has that conversation with Toby about regular heterosexual sex. Right. I mean, I forget the specifically the question is he has, um, but there's that great bit where the camera's definitely hiding, watching Dwight ask Toby inappropriate questions, and Toby says in his talking head, he's like, well, I, I am head of human resources, and he's asking questions about human anatomy. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so Dwight does have a fundamental lack of understanding about all things sexual but he does date. Like, we, we do find out he has had a girlfriend in this episode, at least one. Right, that's true. Is but he, So we don't know how far they got, though. Right, that's true. Um, in terms of bases, mm-hmm. as adults <laughs> talk about these things. Yeah, no, I think it was just an interesting thing to pose. But obviously, a show that goes on so long, they'll kind of overwrite some preconceived notions about things from earlier in the day and such. Right. So my question is, because I don't, I don't think it's ever explicitly said, but does Dwight ever cash in that favor? Mm. Like, you owe me you know, one giant, huge favor redeemable at any point. Yeah. I feel like maybe, maybe not. I mean, what can Oscar even do? Because he's part of accounting. Mm-hmm. But I don't think specifically payroll. That seems more like an Angela thing. So it's not even like... Well, it's probably just more like, hey, I need help moving. You don't get to say no or right. something like that. It's nothing work-related. Yeah, something a little more utilitarian. Yeah, I could see that too. Huh. Um, any other... I mean, I'm sure you do. You, you and your <laughs> a thousand notes. But what other thoughts you got on this episode? Uh, well, we got... I think there's just one to, one to two things we got to hit before we get to the ratings is there's that exchange in the back back like at the very end where pam is like pam goes in and talk to michael and he's like no he had a crush on you on the booze cruise right and she's like he had a crush he has a crush on me now he's like "Ah, nope nope and so jim and pam walk out together and she just gives him this look when they're in the elevator and like we said before it's all in the eyes with pam she gives this look like you can tell she's wondering and thinking about like really being with Jen. Like, it's not just a sort of a crush thing anymore. It is potentially real. This yeah. is the first time in the, the show where both sides kind of know. Right. You know, and so this is the first time where it's it could be real. Yeah. Um, you know, and I always wonder, too, especially watching it recently, why Jim kind of reneges at the end of his admission to Pam about when he liked her because it seemed like he says Michael found out that I had a crush on you and they have right. their funny interaction she's about to walk out and everything seems fine but then he goes that extra step to emphasize that it was a long time ago and he's totally over it and that's when things get weird up until the scene you just referred to mm-hmm. right. and I always wondered why Jim did that I was like you were good bro you I, I think it's kid, just man. you know he knows she's getting married like Maybe he doesn't want to be the thorn in the side, you know, that what if person for her. 
and you know he probably knows that he would be if he didn't give her an out so to speak right right but she seems kind of hurt yeah yo yeah because i she wants to be liked by jim you know it's a very obvious thing in 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 the show is she really wants to be liked by him right so i don't know like i thought it was weird too that he was trying to like keep it down and so maybe he was just trying to save face and save his own skin yeah. a little bit so I like, mean, de- yeah, it was definitely more of an inward thought process that he was going through um but it's just tough to see like that was just like a nice interaction and he kind of like takes a deuce on it by like <laughs> by doing this thing where he's trying to make sure that he looks okay by the end of it you know right and then at the end of it at the very end we have Michael just like straight up copping to the fact he's watching porn, which is pretty funny. He's like, yeah, I was watching Cinemax the other day and it was uh, Confessions of a Pro- More Secrets of a Call Girl. But is that show, is that, an, I don't think that's a softcore nothing or other. Uh, Although, I mean, obviously that channel gets risque at a certain time. I'm pretty sure it is like a softcore. Oh, uh, Secret Diary of a Call Girl, but it stars what's her face, uh, Rose from Doctor Who. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I thought maybe because she's a call girl, but I didn't think the show was that inappropriate. But maybe that show was like in right before the dirty stuff came on. Here we go, Secret Diary of a Call Girl, yeah. British television drama. No, this is one from Showtime. Oh, you're right. It is. Yeah, it does have Rose. Oh, Billy Billy Piper. Out. That's her name. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I only bring this up to save Michael's reputation. <laughs> That's the only reason why I bring it up. Uh, because I I want to believe that as ridiculous as a man as Michael is, that he's also not a gigantic pervert. That it just goes as far as talking about chickenless breasts. <laughs> I mean, to call him a pervert for watching softcore porn, I, I think is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And that's that's one of those jokes that will get lost on younger people. Because mm. when this show aired, boobs were still kind of hard to see. You know? But now, it's not so much. Like, Yeah, that's true. All right. So, any other thoughts? Uh, no, I think it's uh, pretty much hit all my notes, all three pages. Get it. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to lead the way here with the review, or okay. the rating, rather. It was a pretty good episode. There's some good moments. I mean, it's some of the best, some of Steve Carell's best playing Michaelness, I think, to me, you know? Um, because Michael doesn't shine in such a way, but like all the ways that Michael isn't a great person are like here, but like still likable. Um, and because of that, I gave the episode three out of five chickenless breasts. Three out of five chickenless breasts. <laughs> uh, like I said, uh, this is a drill episode. It's it's kind of a bridge episode. Um, so it, it starts. A lot of the things that happened in Booze Cruise are starting to come through and get revisited. And, you know, this is the big, you know, big episode until, well, I guess, Conflict Resolution and Casino Night. Um, it's a good episode. Good stuff with Michael. So I'm going to give it a 3.1 out of 5. You should ask for milk. 
All right. That's not bad. God, I forgot that line too. <laughs> the way he says milk is just terrible. All right. So next up is we got the carpet. Um, you know, actually, just to mention too, the way these um, – the way the secret plays out in relation to the booze cruise was always interesting to me because there was an episode in between, you know, because uh, right. the injury was in between. Mm-hmm. And the way Michael is constantly bursting at the seams makes me wonder how he was ever able to capable capable to keep that secret for any duration, let alone just one episode's length, right? And I was looking at the production codes here, and the secret, or rather, the booze cruise is uh, 2011, injuries 2013, the secret's 2014. And the carpet is 2012. And hmm. I always kind of think of production codes as like when the episodes were kind of intended to air, maybe at original right. inception. Um, which would mean maybe originally there were going to be two episodes in between before this secret episode happened. And that's crazy because there's no way that Michael could have kept his mouth shut for, let's say, two weeks, right? If each episode takes place. Oh, may- of- maybe it was just one of those things where like, yeah, he told him you would keep it for as long as he could. Right, right, right. And he just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that could be too. Yep, just uh, just thought it was interesting. Yeah, okay. I, I had the same thought as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so we got the carpet. And essentially, and I will say I did like this episode a lot. Although I don't know if my review when I originally, oh, man, I did not give it a great review. Anyways, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really interesting episode in that... Um, when Michael enters the office, he is unable to go into his own workspace uh, because as soon as they open the door, there is an odor uh, that he encounters. Um, There is a faceless villain, an unseen threat, at least as far as the audience is concerned. Um, Yeah, and uh, so the whole episode is essentially about Michael not being in his own office, figuring out who did this thing to the carpet. Um. And the various people that it affects throughout the office, like this whole show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this episode was written by none other than Paul Lieberstein. Directed by Victor Nelly Jr., who also does Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And that's all I can see right now. Um, I think this is the first episode he's done of The Office, at least so far. Um, but one thing we got to get to is the cold open. So mm. this is the cold open where... Pam is on vacation to the Poconos. And so every so often, Jim looks up to talk to mm. Pam, but Ryan's there. Right. And so they have the talking here with Ryan's like, I would be creeped out, but it's nothing like how Michael looks at me. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and that look is terrible. Yeah. You just see, like, Michael, like, staring at him, like, serial killer style from inside his office. Yeah. There's nothing I could do that can forgive Michael for whatever he's doing to Ryan at that time. Uh, That's tough. Um, And it's like the camera crew is so close to him. I mean, you know, obviously lenses can zoom and such. But the way it turns and looks at Michael, he's, like, a foot or two away from Michael. And he's so fixated on Ryan that it takes like him specifically being focused on for him to realize he's like, oh, I'm on camera and before right. he like looks away, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he like tries to look away, but really doesn't. <laughs> it's yeah. It's really weird. 
this is where you get another like so that the cold open happens and then the episode opens with pan coming back he comes in he's like oh hey spamster she's like um pam plus he's like plus spam plus hamster yep um so what ends up happening is uh Michael calls some of the well. Originally, he calls a um, a cleaning lady to come in and try to clean out whatever this is. And again, uh, we haven't seen what the thing is. We saw kind of like an outline of it, maybe from like a camera shot under the desk. Uh, but the crew never goes into the office, and no one flat out says what it is. The, some of the um, guesses are a burst pipe, uh, a dead bird. Um, I mean, those are really the only ones that are given names, but right. people have their suspicions. <laughs> um, the cleaning lady, I guess, removes the monstrosity, but <laughs> the odor exists. So the warehouse guys come up, specifically Daryl and Roy, to uproot the carpet, change it out. So Michael uh, takes over Jim's desk. And Jim. Jim to the annex. Poor yeah. Jim. Um, where he is dealing with this new revamped Kelly that we're talking about. Fast talking, gossip, nonsense, whatever. But in it, we are we discover that she's got a bit of a thing for Ryan. But um, she's too shy to say anything, which I think is something that changes eventually. Yeah, yeah, she it's true. She's not shy no more by the end of the series. <laughs> so we got... Michael existing in Jim's desk. We got Jim in the annex dealing with this Kelly and Ryan thing. Um, I mean, those are the two big storylines, really. Yeah, yeah. And so sort of the the subplot is Michael's trying to come to terms with the fact that someone's done this to him, you know? And he, he just has a hard time with that. Um, until the end, which we'll get to, but, um, and then the whole thing with like Jim just being stuck, <laughs> there's yeah. this great scene where he like, he goes, he looks out to the, um, the office and he sees Pam and then he looks back and sees Kelly and he just walks into the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, technically it's Pam and Roy eating lunch together. Oh, that's right. Pam yeah. and Roy. Yeah. And then, and then Kelly, yeah, walking around and it's. He he just needs some alone time and not to deal with that stuff. Yep, so he eats his lunch in the bathroom. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Jim's is, I guess, the less uh, less interesting or whatever, but it's the more subtle storyline of the episode. Right. Um, but it, it's always really interesting to me when Jim is put in that situation where he doesn't get to be Jim, where he can't be, like, the cool guy who's on top of it, where he's kind of put in a corner. Um, and this episode does that. He doesn't want to deal with Kelly necessarily. Specifically, does not want to deal with this whole. Um, does Kelly like Ryan? Does Ryan like Kelly? Uh, and then Pam and Roy are kind of being shoved in his face in a way that kind of obviously hurts his fragile little heart. Right. Um, but it does have a good ending for him because he goes to his desk after Michael leaves to check his own voicemail, and he's got a lot of nice messages from Pam and we all leave feeling a little bit better about the whole thing. Right. Well, the, the, the one that we'll jump to the, the end here, I guess, but the one that really kind of popped for me was, hmm. um, the fact she called from her cell phone at the end, right? Yeah. At the end of that, I mean, that's a big move. That, that's, that means 
I mean, you're not going to call like your work friend that you really only know work on their phone or, you know, whatever, unless you're really sure they're, they're happy to hear from you. Right. Uh, there's a certain level of comfort, I guess, is probably the best way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, and it's also lets us know that they do have each other's cell phone numbers. Yes. Or at least, or maybe not, I guess, because she's calling his work phone. But I, I assume that they had their cell phone numbers, maybe some light texting or whatever. Right. It's Nothing a, as bold as Daryl's text to... To Val. To Val, yeah. With her girls, like, B-T-O-B, bring, or B-T-B, <laughs> bring that booty. <laughs> Uh, yeah. This episode, kind of weird, but you get Todd backstory. So yeah. There's, there's lots of, like, so Michael's talking to Dwight about Todd, about how, you know, all the stuff he used to do about how they used to walk around the office with no pants on. Right. Or the fact that, you know, there's this one guy that Todd stuck his head in the toilet for a minute. He had no sense of humor about it. That's probably why he wasn't hired. Right. Um, how at one point Packer banged everyone in the office. As a joke. As a joke, which is <laughs> hilarious, apparently. Uh, so, one, I don't know how te- like, Todd must be doing crazy money to not get fired. Like, all this shit yeah. would get him fired. So, I don't like, maybe it's just incompetence of Dunder Mifflin or what. Right. But he should be fired. Yeah. Yeah. It must be the sales thing. Yeah, he must be doing a good job out there. I mean, as far as we know, he's the only traveling sales rep who works for Dunder Mifflin. Um, because we don't merely meet anybody else. Later on, another one gets brought on. Right. Um, but Randy it's just, Cordray. Yeah, but it's just Danny Todd. Cordray. Danny Cordray. Danny, yeah. Yeah, so he must be doing well. And I guess, too, maybe he's more likable in smaller doses, right? You go in for a sales call, talk to him for like five, ten minutes, you like him enough, you buy from him, and he walks right. away. But, right. And I was, well, maybe it's one of those things where he's not around bosses enough that right. he doesn't interact with other people enough to like to have people see it and then want to fire him. Right. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, yeah, what else you got? Uh, well... You see a bunch of different talking heads and different things about people trying to figure out who did it. Like, you have one with Jim. He's like, why would you think it was me? That's disgusting. Like, Jim's like, I look, it's hilarious. He's laughing about it, but he's got his boundaries. Right. Yeah, same thing with Ryan. He's like, it wasn't me. I understand, but it wasn't me. He, like, just looks super happy that it's happened to Michael. Yeah. Uh. There's a, there's another talking head with Pam. It's pretty similar where she's just like, maybe this is all we need to know. That it happened and it happened to Michael and that's it. Like she doesn't want anyone to be brought to justice. Yeah. But you also see the, uh, I think, and you see this a couple of times throughout the show, um, especially with the Sabre episodes. But you can, you see how just used to being in his office Michael has become. And not right. having to deal with other people, you know, because he, he gets really pissed off when Dwight's trying to win whatever box set he's trying to win from Rock 107. Yep. Um, 
he has the sales contest and pulls it out, you know, says no, no more sales contest. And they do the rate on accounting and no one likes that. So you obviously tell he's just not used to, um, used to this stuff anymore. Right. Well, he tries to have that uh, contest to kind of mm. make himself feel part of the team. Um, and again, some inappropriate um, diversity stuff with him in that he tries to put the, what is it, a $20 bill? Or is it a $100 bill? Well, he said, I'm going to put a crisp $100 bill, and he pulls out of his wallet like $84. Right, right. Right, and then Daryl walks by, and he's like, I'm going to put this here. Yeah, 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 which is messed up. Um, but I guess he's doing fairly well up until a point. Because he's going around dancing, bragging about his sales. Well, I sold and we 40. Don't... Well, he says, like, I sold 40. He's like, and I'll deliver those 40 boxes in a Sebring. Like, you can't put 40, bo- 40 boxes of paper in a Sebring. Yeah. Um, so we don't ever really know who is winning when Michael eventually calls off the contest. Because he kind of goes through some, like, weird moments where... He doesn't think it's a person who did the carpet thing. Then he thinks it's someone. Then he sees a suspicious conversation between Creed and Oscar. Kind of gets him a little sensitive. And um, and then he calls out the contest. Much to everybody's chagrin. They're all very irritable with him. Um, and then, with all that Todd Packer backstory, they're kind of hinting for the viewer to realize that Todd Packer was the one who ultimately does it. Right. Not before we meet in person at Truck who is Michael's old manager before he became a manager. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is which is, uh, which is is good. I think it was nice meeting Ed to kind of get a feeling. Like, Ed's got some really good advice from Michael. He's like, look, let your family be your family, your friends be your friends, right. co-workers be your co-workers. And, like, some, some people don't it's, – it's, it's a good bit of advice for, for, you know, just corporate life in America for the most part. Yeah, it's true. Um, and, it, and it's – Ed's philosophies against Michael's own, where, as we just said last episode, Michael's constantly inserting himself in people's personal lives because he doesn't understand that separation between work and personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, he doesn't take Ed's advice at all. Right. Um, then it's revealed that Todd did it. Todd's a terrible person. I mean, so what do you think was on the carpet, Jacob? Oh, we all know what it was. I mean, come on, he pooed on the carpet. Yeah. Do you think? But that's the thing. Do you think he flat out squatted on the carpet there? Or do you think he did it elsewhere and brought it over? I don't know. <laughs> I really hadn't given it that much thought. <laughs> well, we ask the hard questions on this show, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think Todd's the kind of guy to squat. Oh, I th- definitely. I think he wanted to be as real as possible, you know. He's not driving around in that well-hung car of his with, um, you know, a-, a bag full of human fecal matter. I think he's going to squat, deuce, and skedaddle giggling all the way. <laughs> So, but yeah, it, and Michael's like, this was a hate crime. Stanley's like, that's not a hate crime. <laughs> and Michael's like, oh, well, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many like small things around the office that I need to like watch it with a Google, like Google Maps up to see if they're real places or just be real places. Oh, yeah. Because there's a there's a takeout menu from Sal's Pizza. Like, is there a Sal's Pizza in Scranton, PA? <laughs> You see all sorts of like little stuff like that where like um Yeah, I mean I think uh, most of those places are real. Cooper's, um Poor Richards. 
Sal's I, Pizza, 505 yeah. Linden Street, Screen, PA. I will say, I'm not sure if Alfredo's Pizza or Pizza by Alfredo are real, though. <laughs> I've never checked that. Yeah, I haven't checked it either, but there's so, or like, there's a, there's a screen area chamber of commerce, like, sugar bowl in the break room that you see from time to time. And right. Nice little touches. Yeah. Do you think they shoot that stuff in Scranton, like when they go to those locations, or do you think they just do sets for them? It seems really expensive to, to fly go all the way to Scranton, yeah. yeah. Yep, makes sense to me. So but, so we get back to the the Ryan Kelly thing. You know, so Jim Jim is being a nice guy. He's like, hey, she like, what do you think of Kelly? He's like, oh, you know, she's not too bad. If you don't mind a little junk in, in – and he sees the camera crew and like – fades away he's like oh i remember the time when when the the thin booty was was a thing <laughs> yeah uh and, but then later you know he because he's like re-talking to kelly after that and he's like she's like well i'm i'm not a slut but you never know right right so she's, she's like really into ryan without ever talking to him really it's it's really interesting well and she um she says that thing too um She's like, I'm in it for the long haul, but don't tell him that. Right. Because then her theme, especially with Ryan, is that she wants to get married. She wants to have babies. Every time they're together, that's basically the topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. And so she plants that seed right here in the right. carpet. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right next to Todd. <clears throat> oh, okay. So another odd thing here um, is... Jim asked out Brenda, who was the corporate woman from the booze cruise. Right. You just never hear about it again. Yeah, I assume she doesn't call him back. Um, it's hard to believe that anybody would deny Jim, but I think it's done here. I think um, Kelly is accurate in that it is super weird that he did it. <laughs> I think Brenda's aware that it's super weird. Um, I think, yeah. And again, because he felt that I don't belong anywhere mentality Mm -hmm. i think he just kind of that was his equivalent of like a drunk text you know (laughs) but he was totally sober and he was at work (laughs) we've all been there we're just like oh god yeah shit yeah you're like oh i should not have done that (laughs) i think it's one thing i do like about this show is there's so many times where they just hit i mean granted it is not personified i don't i don't know the right word i'm looking for here but I mean, it's done up a bit more. It's more dramatic or more whatever. But there's so many moments in the show where you're just like, yep, yep, uh, that's exactly how I've done that in real life. Or yeah. I know people have done that in real life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I guess I don't want to talk about it too much, but it's why the show is so great. It's because it really knows how to take those, like, really real special moments, make it interesting for TV, but, but still keep that authenticity about like the awkwardness of messaging someone you shouldn't have messaged, whether it's a phone call or a text or an right. email, <laughs> um, you know, all this kind of, uh, the weird looks in an elevator, uh, Michael, Michael's total inability to lie. The real world scenario of people taking a shit on your carpet. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So I, I think it's why we definitely wanted to do this show. 
was because The Office is just like a really fun, super real thing while being in this totally ridiculous universe. Right. Uh, so I think we got to hit up at the end the whole Packer calls um, Michael to gloat. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I don't maybe I don't know how I knew to call Jim's phone unless he called reception or I mean I know those IP phones you can move them anywhere and they'll ring no matter what and that's what they have. Right. So I don't know if he was using his phone from his office or whatnot, but Packer calls. You know, he's like, I'm looking for a gay nerd named Michael Scott. Uh, he was like, Who is this? Who is like, this? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but once he finds out it was Packer, he loves it. He thinks it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. And it's just one of those really weird things. Like, I don't understand the whole Michael Packer relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's something that. And I haven't mentioned the UK office in a while, but I think the UK office does a really good job of like explaining that dynamic between David Brent and Chris Finch, I think his name is. Um, and I think it ends better than the office does in terms of that relationship between those two types of characters because David Brent realizes that Finch is an asshole and has been like bullying him around and that there's no like real friendship there. So there's this nice little redeeming bit. That doesn't quite happen between um, Packer and Michael. Uh, I mean, he does technically see what Holly's saying about him. Right. So so there's some of that a bit. But then uh, Packer still shows up in Tallahassee. So sans Michael having to deal with the rest of the office crew. But um, Packer like, never gets his so much. I mean, I guess he gets blamed for that whole... Saber debacle. Well, he does eventually get fired. Yeah. But not because he's an asshole. Right. This is, yeah. He does get his, you know, karma and all that, so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah, I just, I don't, you do feel bad for Michael in situations where he has to put up with Packers shit. But he doesn't put up with it. He loves it. Like, that's the thing I don't get. Like, yeah, is Michael trying to be Packer and that's why he's a douche? Or does right. he just not know any better? Yeah, I just always assume Michael doesn't know better. He's like, oh, this is what friends do. You know, he kind of does it to Dwight a bit. Right. Right. And yeah, we, we've made a point before where the the Packer-Michael relationship sort of mirrors the Dwight-Michael relationship, Michael-Dwight yeah. relationship. Right. So I think, uh, I think that's what that is. Um, but not a good thing. I don't have anything else, so do you want to get to ratings? Yeah. So so I think what it is is when I wrote down my rating here, because the end of the episode isn't great for me. Like you said, the it Michael Packer thing is not yeah. yeah. When Michael gets kind of like paranoid and stuff too, I mean, I get it. It kind of fits within his character, but it's less fun to watch. So ultimately, I gave this episode a one point five out of five burst pipes. Wow, yeah, that's got to be like the worst reading ever. I believe that might be the lowest thing I've given <laughs> thus far. Yeah, uh, this episode's okay. Um, I don't know; not a lot really happens. You know, it's just really seeing Michael. It's just an interaction episode, like how people are interacting. It sets up a few story points for down the road, you know, the Kelly Ryan thing, which pretty much lasts for the entire show. Yep. Um, it's something interesting, like how many relationships and story arcs 
last almost the entire show. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dwight Angela, Kelly Ryan, you know, Jim Pam. The only one that really, the only person who really goes to a lot of girlfriends is Michael. Mm-hmm. And by a lot, I mean like three, but still. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, there's a joke in 30 Rock, right? Because Liz Lemon is like a main character like Michael is. Um, and always in TV shows, it's always part of a character story arc to find like romantic love or whatever. Um, and both characters are portrayed as like inept in relationships. But way down the line in 30 Rock, uh, Tracy Morgan's character says this funny bit about Liz Lemon being a slut. And lists all the girlfriend or boyfriends rather that she's had throughout the show. Um, and I think that's the same about Michael. Like, he seems so inept, but really he's dating someone almost every season. Even though he, like, hits these really low points and is, like, yelling at the office for people to give him phone numbers for people to date. But he does date Carol. He dates Jan. And that's a pretty committed relationship. He does date that lady with a husband. Right. Um, Holly on and off. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's four or five, and he's only on there for, like, what, six seasons or so? Yeah, six or seven six seasons. seasons. Yeah. yeah, so he does pretty good for himself. But we just assume pre-show that he was a forty-year-old virgin. <laughs> Bum cha. Yeah. Right, well, I'm. I didn't give this episode a great score, but not as bad as you. Okay. Uh, and you actually stole my my uh, quanti- oh, qualifier here, okay. so I gotta. Okay. So um, I gave it two out of five. Good, not great. It's okay. Uh, just kind of a, just kind of a filler episode, really. Um, so two out of five. Um, is anyone making soup? Which is one of the great, <laughs> great lines in the entire episode. Like Creed just comes out, like everyone's grossed out. He's like, hmm, someone making soup. <laughs> yeah, Creed's it's Creed's the best. Creed is the best. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, Next episode is season two, episode 15, Boys and Girls. Written by BJ Novak, um, directed by Danny Gordon, who I think this is the first episode with him. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it looks that way. Um, In this episode, Jan comes to town to do a Women in the Workplace event. So, you know, talk about different things. and, and Michael really hates. I guess there really is no B storyline here. Yeah. Um, yeah so Michael really hates it. So what ends up happening is he gets pushed down to the warehouse, and he wants to have a gripe session about women, and things go poorly because it's Michael, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's where we come in. There's really no cold open at all. It just kind of it just jumps right into the episode, um, and you know. He really, Mike really hates the fact that someone is, has authority over him in his office. You yeah. can tell he just hates it. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of moments where Michael's misogyny kind of comes through. Obviously to hilarious effect, not to something detrimental. Right. But, um... Yeah, man, I'm, I'm always skipping ahead. I know you, you're you probably super annoyed by it, but there's that bit where Michael has to come up to talk to Jan about something that we'll get to, um, and he does that thing where he's like, you know, what like, are let's the- talk this out. Yeah, he does like this really jerky, slow-talking thing so Jan understands because she's so dumb, and then she does it right back to him. 
it's a much better effect and you could tell like it sets him off and he says don't talk to me like that I'm like no shit you idiot and so you don't talk to other people like that you jerk yeah it's so good yeah Right, and so you know he's worried. He's like, "Look, they did you did this in Albany, and now they have a lactation room." And you know, like, I think he's kind of worried that like people are going to want to change his kingdom. Like, right. um, there's this whole um, thing in business, uh, like you know, business book stuff called kingdom mentality or self piping, mm. um, where in you run into this. Ex- especially when you deal with branches or different buildings where the person in charge, like they, they are the king. And whenever anyone above them comes in or wants to change things, they get really pissy. Right. So you see a lot of like plant managers and that kind of like that kind of stuff. And you definitely see this whole kingdom mentality from, uh, Michael here. Right. Yep. That's true. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess we'll we'll just tackle it kind of a little chronologically. But mm-hmm. Jane's having that bit. Um, Michael decides to do his own thing, as you said. Um, their their first response to it is to hold the meeting directly outside of the conference room right. and clap as loudly as possible with the door open. Yep, uh, definitely not trying to be a jerk or anything. Um, they go down to the warehouse, and that's that's where the real magic is, happens because. Dwight rightfully says it's like the episode in Lost where the survivors meet the others. See, I, I know it's a Lost reference, but that's as far as I got from you because I've never watched Lost. I got you. That's fair. Um, yeah, just, you know, you've been with these characters for so long and now we're like, oh, now we have to exist with these other characters too um, with different moral codes and stuff. I mean, the warehouse people are not fun, even though they have their own fun. But in relation to the office, they're like, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Um, and Daryl actually touches on it, which um, I think is also another really nice true moment where they do a lot of like physical labor and they do a lot of like that end game stuff, but they're kind of in the shadows. So they have genuine frustrations with how they're treated and compensated and all that jazz. Right. And, it, and again, it's brought to light in a humorous way, but um, I think that's a pretty accurate portrayal of how a situation like that might occur. Right. But it's also, um, it's either a retcon or a big misunderstanding because we find out in season three right. that Daryl makes almost as much as Michael does. Mm. So either right. the warehouse is compensated a whole lot better than they think, or it is a retcon to say they were making nothing, but now, now they're not kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mix of both. I think probably it's possible that they were not being paid as much as they deserved to have been paid, but they didn't realize how little Michael made also. Right. You know, and that's why in that episode, they both have to go to get races. Otherwise they're all kind of stuck in a rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tell this like, there, there's a, like Jim looks before, before Michael calls his own meeting, like Jim looks in the room and like Pam looks like she's ready to shoot herself. Yeah. Like, and you can tell that like, all the women hate it. Like there, there's no, there's no liking it. You know, Phyllis says at the end, he's like, we're comfortable with the balance we struck. Yeah. Here, you know? Yeah. Like, um, but so we go down to the warehouse and, you know, Michael starts introducing everybody. He's like, he's like, this is Roy. And Roy's like, why? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, he's like, oh, it's, it's a Ram thing. It's a, another, right. another nickname. But, 
Kevin brings up to Jim that he's like, I bet you Roy heard. You think he's going to want to kick your ass? Right. And for a brief moment, you can tell that Jim is, at least he looks legit worried <laughs> that Roy might kick his ass. Yeah, I don't know about the ass kicking specifically, but Jim doesn't like to be in confrontations that he can't like really handle. You know, he'll get into all that stuff with Dwight because Dwight's a bit of an idiot when it comes to that stuff, you know? Right. Um, but I think Roy has the moral high ground here because Jim is hitting on his fiance. Right. So I don't think he's concerned specifically about a physical altercation. I also think Jim is probably a little like, you know, haughty toddy in that he doesn't believe that a physical altercation would occur from something like this. Um, so I think he's more afraid of just like the verbal sharing of information, right? Because he also he also has some like weird personal things, like there's some times where Michael hugs him, and it's funny, obviously, right? But Jim's kind of got like a personal space thing where he'll give the camera a look because he doesn't want someone like encroaching upon his business. So I think Jim might have like feelings problems. Jacob, that's what I'm saying. That's my professional opinion here. <laughs> um, so I think he's just kind of afraid to confront this thing, uh, physical altercation or not. Right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but there definitely seems to be, he does seem to have some kind of... Um, like a reservation about like being down there. Right. It, well, it's his. also... Roy makes... Roy makes it real. When he's not around, it's not as real right? as it is when he's around or has to talk to him or whatnot, knowing that that guy right there is is screwing the girl he wants. Right. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's when he's upstairs just with Pam, there's some of that, you know, disconnect. He, he can disconnect from reality a little bit and not think about Roy. You yeah. know, not not to the level that Michael does all the time, but he definitely you can definitely see Jim convincing himself or allowing himself to be okay with what he's doing. Right. And you know, we didn't actually talk about it at all for the carpet episode, but part of that um part of Jim coming in um in the beginning is him kind of having this silent realization or Pam's kind of indirect and admitting of like her banging Roy on vacation the whole time. Oh, because Michael asked her, like, right, you get lucky? On. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then Jim's like, "Did you ski a lot?" And she's like, "Kind of." A little bit. And then there's that like awkward bit, yeah, where he's like, "Oh, I see." Um, yeah. So you're right. It's like when it's brought up that like, "Oh yeah, you're actually in a relationship with someone else." That's when Jim kind of like starts to clam up a bit. Mm-hmm. Now uh, down in the warehouse, we do get one of the great. Michael Scott quotes. And he's like, we have blue collar and white collar. I don't see any of that because I am collar blind. Yeah, so good. <laughs> it's just one of those great just Michael Scott quotes. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting, though, because we've seen some of the kind of you know, interaction, Roy, Jim interactions. But at one point while they're down in the warehouse... Roy kind of confronts Jim and says, hey, you know, I heard it's not a big deal. You're a good guy. 
Right. So I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things where he doesn't think Jim is doing what he's doing. Right. Where he actually thinks that Jim is just a nice guy who's trying to, you know, being friendly instead of flirting with his woman. Right. What's funny is you can definitely tell the uh, uh, impact of all of this during um, during the relationship with Pam. Because, like, whenever, like, someone starts to get any kind of feelings for Pam, Jim gets really, really, like, concerned. Like, mm-hmm. You can tell he's, like, has sort of that, well, she did it with me. Maybe she'd do it with somebody else. You know, that kind of stuff. Oh, you think so? I don't think I picked up on that specifically. I mean, just some of the stuff, like, like especially when she's Andy. in New York and stuff. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there are a couple moments, I suppose. Um, I mean, like, because Ryan hits on her at some point, right, during season four. Right. Um, and Jim doesn't really... Well, but Pam shuts her that. down, so you shuts him down super quick. No, it's true, too. Like, there, there is no lingering there. It's just like, I'm doing, like, you know, yeah. just... Yeah, I mean, yeah, Danny, for sure, he kind of freaks out. And, yeah, whatever's happened in New York. Although I don't think... It's not so much the feelings i don't think from the new york trip i think it's just the distance and just not knowing but i never thought about it from a perspective of like distrust but it could be maybe i just missed it right well because you definitely have a thing where he like extra when pam's in new york he jumps in the car and he's on his way because he's like worried about it and he's like no i'm not gonna do it because i trust her yeah but you definitely see some of the that like Mis, maybe not. Yeah, like mistrust. You're like. I mean, I will say that that scene is preceded by Roy kind of like goading him a bit, and Roy would have ulterior motives. Because they, um, it's um, during the, the crime auction aid? or whatever. Yeah, crime aid. Yeah, crime aid. So Roy and the warehouse guys are having a drink with Jim. So I would say that maybe that was like Roy's goal. I don't think Jim would have felt that way without that prodding. Maybe, but maybe he just hadn't thought about it. Yeah, yeah, could be too. Could be too. I just like to think that uh, they were more confident in their relationship with each other than than what you're suggesting. But you could be right. Maybe I'm living in a fantasy world. <laughs> well, I mean, we're all living in a fantasy world because we're talking about a fake TV show. <laughs> That's true. Good point, good point. Uh, so jump back... We'll, we'll we'll keep on the the Roy Roy Jim thing. Um, so in this episode, during the women's uh, women's meeting, Pam mentions that uh, she likes to draw and does art, you know, graphic design. You know, Phil's is like, oh yeah, she's really good. And Jane actually tries to help Pam. She's like, look, we can talk to New York about paying, like, helping you pay for our design program. All this stuff, which is obviously sort of re-referenced with when she goes to Pratt. But here's where you see the difference between Roy and Pam. And where you really get the sense that Roy is bad for Pam. Hmm. Where, you know, I said difference between Roy and Pam. I meant Roy and Jim. Right. So, you know, Jim is like, that's great. You should do it. You should better yourself no matter what. And then... Roy is like, you shouldn't do it. There's no guarantees, et cetera, et cetera. And while you get get the impression that, like, Roy isn't maybe the best for Pam, 
this episode is where you really realize that's the case. That he will hold her back. She will never be more than what she is yeah. with Roy. Yeah. That's that's a, like it's probably one of the sadder Pam moments. Uh when she's doing that talking head after a conversation with Roy and like Oh yeah. That starts to come out in her. Yeah, that's that's a really tough one. Um and like you said, it's all in the eyes. It's all in the eyes. Yeah. Uh, so back down the warehouse, they start thinking about forming a union, you know, cause they're getting really pissed off about their pay and their benefits. And, you know, I don't, maybe it's still some leftover, like terrible benefits that Dwight picked in season one. Right. That's the problem, which everyone has, <laughs> but right. you know, and yeah, so, so they're like, yeah, Mike, you're going to help us out. And you can tell, like, Mike is like, one, he's just super easy to be bullied. And two, he just really wants to be liked. So he, like, goes along with it. Right. Nothing will be a big deal. And, like, you are talking about earlier, he goes upstairs and he's like, so why don't we talk about the pros and the cons? He's like, everyone yeah. will lose a, their job. What do you think the pros are here? Yeah. You know, it's just so perfect. It's one of those few times where you're like, well, I guess – Pam just hasn't gotten nuts so yet. I guess it's probably the, yeah, the yeah. best way to say it. You know, Pam just hasn't lost her mind. Yeah, not Pam. Sorry, Jan. Too many, <laughs> too many similar names. In this show. Monosyllabic names, yeah. But that's something I didn't really realize until I started watch, like doing this is just like how similar these names are. Jan, yeah. Jim, Pam, Roy. Like, lots of three-letter names yeah. for the main characters. Um, but was, there was a great Kelly quote in here where uh, Jan is really pissed off and she like storms out of the room and Kelly's like, how can someone so beautiful be so sad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of shows where Kelly's like rationale lies, right? Right. And then, then you have in the break room where like Jim walks in and he's like, you're not going to do it, are you? And she's like, how'd you know? Right. And then he's like, what happened? And he, she starts to talk about Roy. And they sort of have the, this little fight. I, I called it their kerfuffle. Sure. It, it's, not bad. it's not a bad fight, but they're like, it's like, oh, he's like, you can tell he's really disappointed in her. And she's disappointed that he's disappointed. Right. It, it just kind of goes back and forth. It's, it's a good little moment there of them just like, Jim wants her to be so much better than she is it yeah. wants her to keep growing and pam just wants she really just wants to stay the same and this is something you sort of see throughout the entire show is she doesn't like change at all right and so she uses any excuse to not do it yeah yeah part of me wondered if that was like a uh, preventative stance so that she could account for roy's like holding her back Maybe, you know, because I think she really likes the encouragement from Jim. <clears throat> but I think what she was t saying to Jan was her assumption of what Roy would say about it, you know. Mm -hmm. And maybe um, if she brought it up, or she probably wouldn't have brought it up to Roy had Jim not been so positive about it. And then if that were the case, then maybe she wouldn't have cried in front of that camera crew because she wouldn't have been excited about it at all, you know. It's true. Maybe. It's true. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that scene, man, where she, like, breaks down, oh, crushes me. Just crushes me. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. 
And um, Pam also really needs to clean her fingernails. That's something I noticed. Like <laughs> they do this close up on her. I'm like, oh wow, there's a lot of shit on this fingernail. Yeah. Um, there's a special appearance in this episode by the George Foreman Grill. Was that in this one? Yeah, because isn't this the one where he's trying to make them steaks? No, no, that this is a different one. Yeah, it just came bit? to my head, but you're right. That's the that's the um, thing for Bob Vance. Right, right. And so uh, in this one, he orders pizza. It's like white people love pizza, black people love pizza. And he asks yeah. the delivery guy, "Do black people like pizza?" And then it's like a perfect cutaway shot to him, like <laughs> acknowledging his own success and feeding the crew down there. <laughs> So what's the, what's the, a small thing we haven't gotten to yet is Michael destroys the warehouse. Yep. He, like, he's driving the forklift, knocks everything down. And so they went from 936 days without an accident to zero, yep. it's, which sucks. But it's like, oh, Michael. And you, you see this kind of stuff where he thinks he can do whatever he wants right? Uh, because he's the boss. And you just can't, you know, you see with the Baylor and everything else. Right. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I mean, the, I think on Netflix, the, one of the still frames for this episode is him doing the, or it's Dwight rather doing the The, angels in the uh styrofoam. Yeah. It's like, do you guys ever do this as he's like, Uh, (laughs) I felt so bad for those guys. Yeah, that's rough. At At the very end, um, well, first, I wonder how much money he cost under Mifflin by doing that. Because you That's know true. there was a lot of lost productivity, maybe missed some order shipments, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. the very end, like they just do this close-up on Daryl, and Daryl's just like, he just looks so broken. Mm-hmm. It looks like somebody, like, kicked his dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's messed up. And then he rightfully says, we're the ones that have to clean this up. we got to clean no... this up, Michael. Yeah, yeah it's tough. <laughs> Um, so, uh, wait, wait, what are you going to rate this one? Well, I'm afraid to go before you. Hopefully I, I don't take your thing, but I, I do like this episode. I mean, generally I really like episodes where they, I think this is controversial, but where they go away from the office, um, specifically. So like when they're put in situations where they have to do something different. So the warehouse or specifically the conference room only, mm-hmm. um, so I gave it 3.6 out of 5 knocked over warehouse racks. <laughs> uh, I like this episode. It's good, not great. Uh, before we get to it, we have to do we have to get to one of the better quotes in in the episode is so Jan says to the women, you should dress for the job you want, not the job yes. you have. Right. Well, my first response to that is dress for the job you want unless you can be Batman, then be Batman. Right. But uh, uh, Angela's like, it w- judging by how you know Jan is dressed, she wants to be a prostitute. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great line there. But good episode, not great. Um, I gave it a three out of five uh, Dave, David Hasselhoff chest hairs. Hey, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, that leads us into our final episode of the show. Um, our show, rather, not The Office. There's still quite a bit of Office to go. Yes, we have many, many episodes to go. <laughs> um, but it's Valentine's Day. Um, it is written by Michael Schur, uh directed by Greg Daniels. 
Um, the only. Yep. <clears throat> Air date, February 9th, 2006. So very close to Valentine's Day. Probably the closest they were going to get, I suppose, based on that math. Um, and the shtick of it is it's Valentine's Day in the office and people are just dealing with those feelings. Um, Michael right, yeah. actually, But Michael is not in the office. Michael goes to corporate. Yeah, the, the B story, well, A, B, depending on how you want to look at it, is the new CFO wants to meet all the branch managers or some of the branch managers. Yeah, yeah I which, think it might be all the existing ones at that point. Because there's, there's a couple in there that we don't, um, we never see again. Right. What, what but you also see. know there is any, I don't, I think, I don't think Utica is a thing yet. I don't think right. Utica's mentioned. Uh, but, so Michael is meeting the new CFO and the, the rest of it is just kind of the office doing the office stuff on Valentine's Day. Right. And you get this little subplot about. Angela Dwight getting each other gifts, which is pretty funny. Um, but so this is this is the first note I have. But it's like I really like Pam's hair in this episode. I thought it was really cute. I like this sort of frizz. Uh, well done, makeup department for doing that. Right. And one of, one of the big sort of recurring jokes, which grows on itself, is the parade of gifts. That Bob Vance is showering on Phyllis. So I assume this is their first Valentine's Day together. Which, you know, since the first time we know Bob as Phyllis's boyfriend is the Christmas episode. Yep. So it would make sense this is their first Valentine's Day. So she's sending him, he's sending her the entire rainforest in a giant ass teddy bear. And the more she gets, just the more the office around her deteriorates. Yeah. Do you think he did it because of the camera crew? No, I mean, it's Bob seems like the guy who would do it anyway. He's got the money to do it because it's right. pretty well established that he's got some coin. Yeah. So he's he's throwing around. I think it's more of a he wants to look really, really good in front of her coworkers. Yeah. Like, I mean, I won't lie. I've done... Not to that level, but I've done something similar because I wanted to look good in front of my girlfriend's coworkers. Right, right. You know, I've definitely sent her, sent girlfriend's you know flowers at work, right? Just so I can, so you know, she gets to brag about how awesome I am, and you know, and then you know later other things you know happen. So anyway, <laughs> so this is the first appearance of David Wallace. Yep. Um, the, I love um, David Wallace's character. Uh, I, I mean, do too. Um, it's yeah. interesting. And um, I don't, this is a later one, but later note I have, but we'll get to it. It's like, so in this show, David Wallace, it kind it kind of makes it seem like he runs the company. Right, because we never meet the CEO. Right. And while it's not terribly uncommon for a different C executive to essentially be the CEO instead of the CEO, it's very rarely the CFO. That's right. doing it. But it could also be that the reason he seems like he's running the company is because they are in bad financial straits. Right, right. So, he, so. you know, since he's in charge of the finances, um, maybe that's it. But I know I worked for a company where the COO was essentially the the man around the company. So, Right, which, which technically I suppose makes sense based on what 
those letters mean as the operations right. officer, right? Operations would give you the inclination that it's like operating, right? <laughs> as opposed to financials. Yeah, so that's a good point. But we never see anybody who's a peer or superior to Wallace. Right. I mean, the, we, only, the only time Robert we really Decker. do it is the, um, oh, the shareholder meeting. So. Yeah, but I don't know who any of those people are. Unless I guess they, he, he probably listed off who they are. Yeah, they, they listed off. Uh, but that's the only time you really ever see like a CEO or whatnot. Well, because because they're the board, or rather, like I know a lot of the higher ups um, have to respond to the board. Right. Um, so I guess that's also another way these companies are being managed by like a board of directors who have a lot of shares in the company. Right. So, so in this episode, um, Jim is single. On Valentine's Day, that's maybe the last reference of Katie. He's like, yeah, I broke up Katie a while ago. Just going to have some friends come over and we're going to play some poker. And they're all they're ter- all terrible, so I'm going to make a lot of money. Right. And so this is your first sort of reference to Jim and poker, mm-hmm. and which is sort of re-referenced again in um, Casino Night because they're all playing Hold'em. Right. And Jim is supposed to be a good poker player. He's not Kevin good because there's something we'll get to when we get to Casino Night. But the the game that Kevin wins his World Series of Poker bracelet in is very difficult. Do you think he was – I see, I always thought Kevin was lying. Like he was, that was part of his bluff. He says this thing and he's got this status, but he never really won. And then when he loses, he's like, I suck because he's just admitting that the whole thing was a lie. No, I, I see. I didn't think so. And one thing I do have to give the writing crew, because I used to play a lot of cards back in the day, is whenever they do poker things, they're mm. it's pretty accurate. Okay. Because Kevin's, according to Kevin, his bracelet is, a, is in Deuce of Seven low ball. Right. Which is a very complicated, very rare kind of game. So that was interesting that they, they that they researched enough to figure out that there was all these other games beside Hold'em, you know. Yeah, I mean, I also feel like, though, like if even just one of them knows poker, like that's why they did that. They're like, oh, we're doing a casino episode. I know this other game. Let's do that. And that'd be a funny thing for Kevin to do. Yeah. Because Kevin, I mean, but Kevin does gamble. Yes. So it would make sense for him to. Yeah, I just always took it that he was like lying the whole time, and that was more of like a front to psych the other players out, um, and that he ultimately lost. But maybe it's not supposed to be super clear. Maybe, maybe. both interpretations yeah. are kind of accurate because it's never brought up again. Right, and then uh, well, actually, he does play Deuce of Seven. He does bring up Deuce of Seven again. When during uh, Bob's uh, Bob's uh, bachelor party. Mm-hmm. He's like, gotcha. all right, the game is deuce to seven, low ball. So he brings it back up. But anyway, so one one of the funny parts about this episode is watching Michael go around New York City. It's like, you know, I don't, I like to come here. He's talking about like Times Square. He's like, you know, it's not touristy. Everyone would go straight for the Empire State Building, but I don't like to do the touristy stuff. So I come here to Times Square. Yeah. Name right. for the good times you have in it. <laughs> And he's like, oh, you know, I like to get here early, get a, this is my favorite New York pizza place, it's Sabaro, which is terrible. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, 
and you're right, that whole time that he spent traveling around is great. He's lost, like, right before he gets to the office, and he's like, okay, this is either the Hudson or the East. So for anybody who's not aware of the geography of New York City, it is an island that is surrounded by two bodies of water, the Hudson River or the East River. So he's accurate in assuming it's one of them, but he's clearly walked too far in one direction and has decided to just walk in the other direction and hopefully he finds it. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Uh, and so, you know, Dwight ends up getting, Dwight like shows up. He's like, what's this on my desk? Jim, what'd you do? He's like, no, it was here when I got here, man. And so Angela gets him a personalized bobblehead. Right. And so he goes up to her, you know, in, in their clandestine kind of way, like see that someone rock, rocked the office with a great gift. He's, and, you know, so they have this interchange and he's like, She's like, I, I, she said, I haven't gotten a gift yet. She's like, oh, I bet you will <laughs> before the end of the day. And then she walks away and this look of just pure panic washes yeah. across Dwight's face because he never thought he'd have to get her a gift. He's like, oh, shit, what do I got to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a, a funny bit where it's always um, – you assume that you're never going to get someone a gift, and one person in that relationship always does the gift anyways, assuming that the other person was going to. Right, and you, and you see sort of the uh, mirror of that with uh, Pam and Roy, mm-hmm. where you know they she's expecting something. They said nothing big, right? But she's expecting something, and she doesn't get anything, and it really upsets her. Well, she didn't get anything yet, but she's going to have the best sex of her life. Don't ever say that to a woman, guys. Just don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) You set the bar too high. You say it the other way. You say, tonight's going to be terrible. And then if you do okay, they're like, wow, he really undersold that. (laughs) That's how you do it. One of my notes is always, always get your person something on V-Day, even if it's like a card or, you know, 10, 10 bucks at Walmart, whatever. Just get always, always get your something. Get your person something on Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, just trying to look at my notes here. I will say uh, that this episode is important to our podcast specifically because it is where we get our name from. It is true. Um, uh, so, so during yeah, – yeah. Go ahead. Okay. During the um, – the actual meeting with David Wallace where all the original managers are saying what's up there to present their branches uh, with financial numbers just to see who's doing what and what's on the up and up. Michael's presentation consists of a short film he creates called Faces of Scranton um, where he kind of does a voiceover over this really cheesy video of all the personalities that exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ending, he has his own production company, which is called Great Scott Productions. Maybe yeah. with a picture of Steve Martin and Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we definitely need to talk about the meeting because there's there's um there's essentially three parts to or four parts to Michael in New York. It's Michael walking around New York, and the first thing where they're waiting on. David Wallace, and he meets some of the other branch managers. It's the first appearance of Josh, right? You know, the manager of Screen, and then there's Craig, the manager of Albany, who has been kicked out of every strip club in Albany. Uh, yep. 
And somebody else, some fat dude, I don't remember. Yeah, um, I, I do know he shows up in David Wallace's house party later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. Apparently but, he was not the manager of Utica. I thought that'd be interesting if Karen Filippelli ends up taking the, this guy's job. Mm-hmm. Um, but nope, I can't find out who he worked for. So anyway, so they're in the meet. They're they're waiting, and you know, Craig is just railing on Jan, you know, calling her a bitch and ice queen, and you know, he, he's like, she's not my boss, and yeah, you know, he's like, you know, she's not my boss. Do you like Jan? It's like, and, and Michael like jumps in. He's like, well, you know, we hooked up, and she's my girlfriend, and da 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 da, and you know, everything gets really super awkward. Yeah. Then, you know, we see the video and Craig afterward, you know, but Mike's ready. Mike's got all of his financials, everything else. He's ready to go. Yeah. Like for, for as crappy as he is, as being a boss, sometimes he's on top of it on this one. Um, and Craig, you know, starts railing about it. And he's like, oh, I should have, I should just slept with Jan like Michael did. And yeah. Just, hey, you know, Jan's like, I'm going to lose my job. And, you know, Michael's like, no, I'll fix it. This is one of those, like, I think maybe sort of the salesman kind of stuff, but, like, he's, like, he totally lies for Jan. And when it matters, he can do it, you know? So he's, like, sale, sells that Jan is this great executive, you know, full of integrity, all this other stuff to David Wallace, and just kind of diffuses the entire situation. Yeah, I think it's also some of those rare moments where you find out that Michael isn't a total tool. Right. That he does kind of like understand the gravity of the situation and has some like legitimate compassion for other people. Mm-hmm. So that's partially why he can like kind of bring out all of his salesman skill sets to the table and deliver that message. So, because it's a nice moment for Michael. Right. You know, because um, yeah. he does everything he can. I still, don't I still don't understand the the love Michael has for Jan. Like they've had one moment and he's just like fixated on it, you know? Right. I mean, I think it's part of that, um, you know, any little hint of something, you know, so Jim sharing his secret, Jan hardcore making out with him in the parking lot. <laughs> I think, the, you know, he doesn't need a lot, a lot, just a little bit and he'll, he'll take it and he'll run with it, you know? Right. And, but yeah, so he's really into Jan and, uh, this is skipping to the very end, but uh, I'm going to pull the U here. Uh, so, um, you know, Jan kisses him outside the elevator, and Michael looks at the camera, and then Jan turns and realizes the camera crew's there. It's just this look of pure terror washes over her face. It's like, oh, my God, what have I done? Right. What's going to happen? At some point, someone's going to see this, and no, I no, I kiss Michael for realsies, and not because I was drunk. Yeah, it's true. Right, because up until that point, they don't know that the Chili's footage was like, exists, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. So this is like fact. Look, they're macking it. Yeah. I don't know what Jan was thinking at all. That's like a total misstep on her behalf. Like, there was no reason why she should have done what she did. She just spent half that episode yelling at him about it. Um, you know, really great explanation as to why it was like this one-time thing, and he's got to let it go, and he's going to ruin their careers. And then she kisses them anyways. Well, What's your fucking problem? I think part of it is, you know, she had gone through a divorce fairly recently. Those are, we don't know how long they were together, but divorces are hard, you know. Right. And it's, Michael did something 
he didn't have to do. Right. And he did it so well. Right. And I think part of it was just that like she was really happy to be treated in a nice way when she was probably used to not being treated in a very nice way. Sure. Yeah, that, that's, that's really all I could think. And, or this is just the start of Jan. We're seeing Jan become batshit crazy. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That like it's, it's starting to happen. Right. Right. So maybe this is just the start of that. I don't know, but, um, yeah, it is a weird moment and the weird that she does it. But I mean, we start to see that, you know, cause casino night, she was going to come and yep. hook up with Michael. Right. Like that was going to happen in casino night, eh, but it doesn't get to happen. So, you know, there, there, she started to have feelings for him too, in a weird way. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like a weird version of Stockholm syndrome. for, sure. for Jan. Well, I wonder too, if she is also as socially inept as he is in a different way. And like Michael is her best shot also, you know, like, cause he'll deal with whatever it is that she is. And he ultimately does for quite a while. Um, well, it could, it could be that maybe she was so focused on her career that she really didn't take the time to develop those interpersonal relationship skills. Yeah, could be. And you know what? Sometimes it's nice to know the person you're going to be dating idolizes you, you know, just right. puts you on the pedestal. The whole bit. So maybe that's part of it too, where she knows that unlike her husband, her ex-husband, Michael's going to, well, at least in her mind, always going to be there no matter what, because right. she is that, quote unquote, that much better than he is. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's fair. Which is why I think when Michael dumps her in season three is when you really see the, the snap of Jan. Like she's right. like mentally braced, like, oh, my God, if Michael Scott's going to dump me, I've hit rock bottom. Well, because also, too, when he breaks up with her, the stories he tells about her, we don't ever see, right? It's true. Mm -hmm. So there is a part about it where we could think that Michael's kind of like an unreliable narrator of that story. Where, like, his childlike mind is perceiving totally regular adult things that she's suggesting as these terrible, creepy BDSM basement video type things, you know? Right. Um, but then she gets crazy again. Like, a lot of this stuff where, like, we only hear about it, never see it, but then maybe it was proven correct later based on how mm -hmm. characters start to act in certain situations, you mm -hmm. know? Dinner party. Yeah. 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 So but, that's, yeah, that could be. Well, actually, it's an interesting concept. And this is something we'll see soon. Is he mentions something about Carol doing stuff to him that made him really uncomfortable. Right. So and, I think he might also just have like a weird sex thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless he just keeps dating freaks. Which, I could see that. I mean, sure. I mean, there's not a lot to do in Scranton, Pennsylvania, so maybe they <laughs> they get their gigs out of, uh, you know, tying people up and wearing dresses when you're a different gender. And all types uh, of to, to quote Barney Simpson from How I Met Your Mother, oh, look at her. You just know she likes it dirty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Could be. <clears throat> 
Also, Michael seems to have a thing for these women who have been divorced. I mean, Holly obviously is the exception. It's the one that works out. But, you know, Jan is no longer a Gould. Um, Carol is divorced. That lady is married. Well, you know? I mean, that's a thing when you date older people. Well, I was about to say, I mean, because when you're in your 40s or whatnot, it's harder to... I mean, even when I was dating in my mid-20s, it was hard to find girls who... I mean, it wasn't super hard, but it was kind of hard to find girls who weren't divorced. Sure. Or had kids or whatever. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's that uncommon. I mean, so many marriages do end in divorce. Uh, right. So I don't know. I never really th- thought of it as weird. Mm. Yeah, I never did either. I guess I just only realized that similarity between all of his lovers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting when we actually get to the Donna episodes. <laughs> Yeah. In like a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be interesting when we get there. Um, I just what, also, uh, the the chubby fellow who is a regional manager, he is Dan, who is the regional manager of Buffalo. Buffalo, right, right. That's uh-huh. Now, one thing, okay, so we were talking about a little bit earlier, like he, so when Michael was talking to David Wallace in defending Jan. Right. Just completely throws Craig under the bus. It's like you've met him. He's just, he's a moron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? He's just like screw you. Whatever. Yep. I mean, rightfully so. In a situation like that, where Michael had to pick allegiances, mm-hmm. and Craig did show up, and he really kind of threw himself under the bus by being such a dillweed. <laughs> he doesn't even have a good reason as to why. He's like, I just thought it was a meet and greet. And they say it again. He's like, yeah, I just thought we were saying hi. But like, he doesn't even try to save face. They didn't close that branch, I don't think. No, they didn't close the branch. No. I think they he, closed Buffalo. Because he, he was Albany. Right. Was Albany. right. And it's they, still around during the company picnic. Oh, and it's still around. That's right. They closed Buffalo because that's just what they, they Holly and Michael let slip during right. But the, it's still around during um, when Rob of California is there because someone from Albany and somebody else are vying for that yes. one something. Uh, yeah, it's not. I think it's Danny, right? Isn't he part of it? No, no. He might. Uh, no, no, no. It wasn't Danny Cordray. It was. Um, oh. It's when it's when. Is it Jim and Dwight then? I just know that. Yeah, it's Jim and Dwight. They're trying to get this thing. Yeah. So that since he's in, we just watched that episode not too long ago. Gotcha. Yeah, I gotta say, doing this show like throws me off because like we have to watch our episodes for the upcoming episode that we do. But then I'm in like various places, like on my own personal viewing, and then with my girlfriend's viewing. So I'm like, I don't know what happened to who and who's dating what and <laughs> who's gay and who's not gay anymore and who's got a job and what town do they live in. Yeah, I get so Yeah, I, I do that too because, like, it's kind of sad actually. Like, we've been just going through the office because, like, last time we did Great Scott, me and my wife were on stress relief. Right. And now we're in season nine, like two-thirds of the way through season nine. <laughs> yeah. It's the four I mean, seasons in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, like you said, last episode that we recorded – like within the day, I watched the four episodes we were supposed to watch here, and then I've watched them another two times after that because I was like, "Oh man, I don't remember anything now because I've <laughs> kept watching them so far." Yeah, so it's right. 
<clears throat> it'll get easier as we get further along because it'll be harder to rewatch episodes that are so far into the show. Yeah. Right, but then we'll be watching episodes before. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I'll be like, "Oh, Andy doesn't work there yet." You're like, "No, he's already the, he's already the boss, you dummy." All right, so probably wanna two things we want to hit is we, there's that really awkward interchange between Ryan and Kelly in the break room. Yes, and Jim's like, "Please don't do this right now." Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Ryan's obviously upset that he hooked up with her. The day before Valentine's Day, which I don't know why, except for maybe, I don't know, he really wasn't that into her, but they'd obviously been out a few times, at least that's what it seems, so I don't know. Yeah, I I was trying to figure that out too. Was it because he feels that he's giving unfair, like an unfair perspective of his feelings to her because he did it so close to Valentine's Day? Or is it because now Valentine's Day is going to be like a double special day because it's not only their anniversary but also valentine's day so it's terrible if he forgets that or i didn't fully understand why he was freaking out maybe he just wasn't ready for it but now it's like oh i did it right around valentine's day so like she's gonna think we're together which he obviously right. did I've, I've elevated the relationship a lot already <laughs> yeah that's yeah. a good point mm-hmm. um and then just one thing that's funny is throughout the episode you see meredith getting more and more wasted and right. at the end of it she's passed out on her desk and nobody cares yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, and just in Boys and Girls, she had said that it's her dream to be four and a half years sober in five years. Right, which So she's happen. still with it her half the time. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's a little, nice little thing, too, when they uh, show her, like, big, big gulp or whatever she's drinking out of the whole time, but she's been filling it with alcohol. Right. Um, it's pretty great. <laughs> Meredith being alcoholic is just awesome. So good. <laughs> it does add for some fun dynamics. Yeah. All right. So, um, what are you, you going to rate this episode? Unless you got anything else to to bring up. Yeah. Let me just one more skim of my notes, but I think that's about it. Yep. So, I like this episode. It's light on the on the jam stuff, really, because. Jim doesn't really interact with Pam, like you said. You know, it's kind of his own thing, and he does it or whatever. Um, so I give it a three out of five. You know, it's a nice kind of middle, don't need context episode to watch. Yep, um, it's a good episode. You again, it's it's a lot of setup. There's just yep. so much setup happening because this really ignites the Michael Jan thing, right? Like. Before, it was all in Michael's head, pretty much. Yeah, they had their little rendezvous at the Chili's parking lot, but that was it. Right. But now, you know, Jan makes a move towards Michael, so there might actually be something going on. And, you know, Jan's a recurring character for many, many a season. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. You know, she comes back for a couple episodes in season nine, and, you know, so it's interesting stuff. Um, like you said, not a lot of context, pretty light. Funny. Uh, there's definitely some funny moments. Yep. Uh, I gave it a 2.75 out of 5 giant teddy bears on Felsa's back. Okay. Which is hilarious at the age. She's like walking out with this giant ass teddy bear on her back. Yeah. You know, and I will say too, I think on rewatches, I guess I've never had to like analyze it before, but like what you're talking about, like all the setup, 
it's not as apparent when you don't know what the next episode's about. You know, right. it's just mm-hmm. building tension. But when you know that, it, you know, by episode 22, 23, Jim and Pam were going to kiss for the first time, but we're only in the middle of the season. We're just like, Jesus, just get there already <laughs> because we know, you know. But if we didn't know, I was like really surprised by the time I hit casino night. Right, right. And it's also one of those things where I think going back and doing it this analytically that's been interesting is they actually spend a lot of time setting a lot of things up. Right. There aren't a lot of out of the blue things, at least so far in the office. Right. And so far, everything has been set up episodes in advance, you know, throwaway lines here, little things there, you know, the whole you know, Katie and Jim break up on booze cruise was set up back in email surveillance and yep. you know, that kind of stuff. So it's an interesting thing. I think yeah. I think they do a really good job with. Yep. Nope. Definitely. Um, well, uh, you can check us out. Uh, if you like this podcast at broken jars at X, Y, Z, we have a bunch of other podcasts. We have a writing podcast, gaming podcast, Dresden files podcast, lots of cool stuff there. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, um, you can email us at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, so check us out. Follow us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we post on the Dungeon Mifflin subreddit. Yep. Uh, that's a good place. For any Office fan, highly recommend. Just like every couple of days, hop up on there and see what's new. Like Those guys get really, really into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they have fan theories every couple of while sometimes they'll share a scene that you forgot about that you know is an old favorite right so you know it's a i it's probably one of the only subreddits i'm a part of that is like for a thing that isn't a thing anymore right right yeah 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 Yeah, and it's a good it's a good group (laughs) all right well uh y'all have a good night or good morning or afternoon or whenever you're listening to this i hope i hope it's a good one yeah yeah bye-bye bye